Every uh, year for pastors, I've said to myself, you know, there's probably something out there called the American Lectionary. Uh, and those are for the pastors who preach based on the calendar, may not use lectionaries. <laughs> and what I mean by that is for the non-denominational or for the, the broad category of evangelicals who might stay away from what we call high church uh, liturgy, even though there's not a book given to them that says, here, preach this, I sat under a few pastors growing up who felt like since it was Mother's Day, you should preach about mothers. And if it's Father's Day, you should preach about fathers. Maybe you should talk about sacrifice near uh, Memorial Day. Never happened in my church, but I do know that there have been churches who have pastors who put American flags and out and preach about some American history near July 4th. Um, and if you've been here for a few years, you likely know that I usually just pull over for Advent and Easter, and that's about it. But uh, I have been known to try and observe Thanksgiving, whether it be a few sermons or one sermon. And I think I like to observe Thanksgiving because like many Christians I know, I do have an appreciation for the fact that Thanksgiving feels relatively unspoiled, right? That, uh... It seems like culture around August just says back to school and fall decor. And then around mid-September, they bring out the Halloween decorations. And about now, if not a week or two even ago, they just skip Thanksgiving and pull the Christmas stuff out. And uh, they've been able, unable to properly commercialize Thanksgiving, which is great. And, uh, I mean, they've tried in years past, but now it seems like religious pilgrims and how they interacted with the natives is altogether politically incorrect. At the heart of Thanksgiving is exactly what it is. Thanksgiving. And I've stated in past sermons surrounding Thanksgiving that it seems like this idea, this this concept is very pervasive throughout the Bible. But in my personal reading, probably about a month or so ago, I came across Isaiah 12. And it just jumped out at me at how rich it was with the theme of Thanksgiving like a psalm of thanksgiving. And because it is rich and packed, I'm going to spend the next four weeks looking at these six verses. But wouldn't you know it that a a month ago I wasn't reading the BSB in in my personal reading. And I'm going to still use the BSB, but there are some some necessary words such as give thanks. (laughs) And the BSB says give praise. And so I'm just going to substitute those words, but we'll be otherwise preaching and reading through the BSB. Let's take a look at Isaiah 12 together, though, and I do invite you to stand if you're able to, and we're going to read through all of it, but we're just going to unpack verse 1 in our study time today. So, but please stand if you're able to in honor of uh, hearing the word of the Lord. Isaiah 12 says, In that day you will say, O Lord, I will give thanks to you. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he also has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day you will say give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. 
Let this be known in all the earth. Cry out and sing, O citizen of Zion, for great among you is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Father, I I never want this to be a time of routine. We're here to to understand your word because it's what we do every Sunday morning or we open up your word and want to learn because that's what we do. Turn the routine into ritual. Give it meaning. Fill it with your power and your glory and give us awe and wonder of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. Holy Spirit, speak because your servants are listening. Please give us soft and tender hearts that receive your word. Let us not have hard hearts. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This hymn, this song is a conclusion of a section that Isaiah really begins back in Isaiah 6. A memorable chapter of the book. I've preached on it here. It's, it's Isaiah's dramatic commission where the temple was filled with smoke. And seraphim were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is commissioned for his prophetic ministry, but not before what? He realizes something, doesn't he? He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And this word hosts, it's kind of archaic. It's why some newer translations put armies. And maybe that gives you a clearer picture here. This is a picture of power. Might. I think some translations would even put the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah says, when God shows up, he, Isaiah, knows his position before him. Guilty. Woeful. Ruined. He's ruined because he's unclean. He's stained with sin, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, a sinner living among the company of sinners. And this is, I think, telling, because I don't know how many of us, myself included, will say, oh, the world is just horrible. (laughs) And just think back to a few decades ago, we didn't have X, Y, and Z. Perhaps another conversation for another day. We may have not had those, these present-day societal sins, but we had a whole other set of societal sins that were just as rancid. However, in any day, age, and culture, if we're quick to judge our society, let us also be quick to know our place before God. Just as guilty. Just as ruined. And we should, we should be just as woeful. But then what happens for Isaiah? God sends a seraphim and the gospel happens. Your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Understanding the Hebrew, your iniquity, your guilt, your punishment is removed and your sin blotted out. 
And this reality that takes place in Isaiah's life is the reality he will slowly get to unveil to the Israelites. But he's given some news about the people he's going to prophesy to. They're going to be resistant, ignorant, arrogant, ever hearing, never understanding, ever seeing, never perceiving, with calloused hearts, deaf ears and closed eyes, kind of like many people in the time of Jesus. And so then begins, like it began with Isaiah's self-awareness, we... We first hear from Isaiah, judgment, guilt. You're like, I read Old Testament prophets, isn't that what they all say? Isaiah's prophecy to Israel was what he already knew. He he dwells among a people of unclean lips. They will look to the earth and see only distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into utter darkness. And God's people are taken captive. They're sent into exile because of their sins, because they are an unclean, unclean people. But unlike Isaiah, they had no woe, no shame, no guilt. They didn't know they were ruined. Even so, within and throughout the oracles of doom, admonishments of what's just right and true, that the lost lays us, there were also glimpses of hope. You know this passage, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The same God wherein Isaiah said, I can't even see him, I'm ruined before him. <laughs> the virgin will bring the Messiah to us, Emmanuel. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. The people rejoice before you as they rejoice at harvest time. That seems an apropos time for Thanksgiving. (laughs) And we come to Isaiah 12 and Isaiah's first round of oracles. From the judgment to this hope, Isaiah's closing up this oracle in a song. And the first verse of Isaiah 12 has four points that I want us to consider. That day is now. As soon as you reread it, you'll get it. But then I want to talk about thanks be to God, then Christ, and then lastly, comfort. Isaiah 12 opens with, in that day, you will say, O Lord, I will give thanks to you. And if we come to a passage and we see words like, in that day, and if we know English, and if we trust our Bible translators to be translating popular, popular, proper English, We should likely ask, in what day? (laughs) What is that day? And we find our answer back in the preceding chapter around Isaiah 11, verse 10. There's the phrase again. On that day, the root of Jesse. Who's that? Jesus. If you're new here, just answer Jesus to most of my questions. (laughs) Jesse was David's father. Jesus is the son of David. He will stand as a banner or a signal or a flag or an ensign for the peoples, the nations. Do you hear the plurality? Nations. Gentiles included. Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles meaning non-Jews. Will seek him. And his place of rest will be glorious. On that day the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people from Assyria. 
from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Islands of the sea, corners of the earth, Gentiles, what God is saying and what Isaiah is saying, that even though Israel would find themselves in exile, Isaiah is peeling back time and says, not only will you return, but a greater day is coming. It was mysterious. They couldn't even fathom. And though as Isaiah continues through all 66 of his chapters, he probably gives the clearest gospel account of the Old Testament. But as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who foretold the grace to come to you searched and investigated carefully, trying to determine the time and setting to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they foretold things now announced by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And so friends, has this happened? Has the Messiah come? Is a remnant pouring into the temple of the Lord, the temple that Paul speaks of, not made with human hands? But the church, yes, that day is now. And so what should be happening if that day is now? In that day you will say, O Lord, I will give thanks to you. Now Isaiah, God speaking through him, he lists the things he's thankful for in the entirety of Isaiah 12. Anger and its removal, comfort, God and his salvation, strength and song. But I alluded to this at the beginning, and I've said it before, but our entire lives, Christians, should be permeating with thanksgiving. Paul says it's what should be on our lips, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or crude joking which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. Or be anxious for nothing, is that easy enough? But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Or in Colossians 3, 15 and 16, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, for to this you were called as members of one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I mean, the bottom line is this, how the world is is set up. Everything God does should move us to thankfulness. Did you know that it's not just medicinal, scientific, cold list of events in Genesis 1? It's not just God made this good, God made that good, God did this good. No, rather you realize it's building towards something. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you what? Creation, basically. It's for them. It's for us. 
We're to have dominion over his creation. And so when someone praises God for a sunset or some fall foliage, for rain in a season of drought, for a break in the clouds in a season of rain, well met. God deserves praise and thanks for his creation that he's given us. I've met people, Christians and non-Christians, who get all high, mighty, and proud and say, oh, thank God for the flowers. That's kitty stuff. No, it's acknowledging the Creator and the fact the Creator has said, I made this for you. It's not just randomly placed and glad you enjoy it and why are you bothering me with thanking me. No, it's thanksgiving. If you are down, thanksgiving to God is the energy that pulls you upward. If you are sad, thanksgiving to God clears the the clouds. If you are lost, thanksgiving to God brings you home. You know, another thing that happened that I didn't orchestrate, and I just realized this as I was preaching, what was the song you were playing during offertory? Count your blessings. Thanksgiving is what brought Isaiah home. Thanksgiving for the gospel. I have removed your iniquity. It's what Isaiah is going to say that will bring the the exiles home. Because Isaiah is thankful for Christ. That's really our next movement. He says, in that day you will say, O oh Lord, I will give thanks uh, to you, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. <clears throat> A few things. This is the dark side of the gospel. Dark in that we get to hear of God's anger. And a lot of people might hear it this way, and again, judgmentally scoff, well, how nice of God to just make me and then get angry with me. Well, first of all, people only need to have kids and see how that happens. But the point is, God has a right to be angry. Uh, Isaiah had the humility to, to recognize that. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Angry. This is the the feeling that led up to God's decision to flood the earth. Uh, Genesis 6, 5 through 7 tells, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Sin angers God. Why? Because his image was put into man. He expects his image. He expects love, goodness, light, holiness, and truth. But what he sees and what we decide to do often is hatred and iniquity and darkness and profanity and deceit. And God is also justice. True, pure, unadulterated, unbought, not bribed justice. For he is no respecter of persons. And if a perfect God has justice, I mean, if if really, if a perfect, ethically perfect, without any shade or touch of sin, if that God has justice, then his justice will be set at the highest bar, and rightly so. So that what we might consider a small white lie, he rightfully receives it as an abominable, punishable offense. Because he doesn't lie and we're made in his image. 
James, presumably half-brother of Jesus, says, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Anger. But Isaiah prophesied what? Not that you or I have deflected God's anger, but listen to the words. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. God's the only one acting here, right? You were angry. Your anger has turned away because God turned his anger away. Paul writes memorably in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified Freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the atoning sacrifice, as the propitiation, as the expiation. It's a picture of wrath being confronted and absorbed and satiated and punishment paid for through faith in his Christ's blood. In order to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, one translation says, in his divine restraint, that restraint from anger, he has passed over, he has overlooked, or he didn't act upon the sins committed beforehand. That's why Christ is good news. God is a God who's moved to wrath or to anger at our sin because He's an altogether good and holy God. He wants a good and holy, pure people. A pure and good world because, hey, he kind of mentioned whenever he first made the world, that's what he thought of it. It's good. It's all good. We're the ones who corrupted it. But because he gets angry at us, what the prophets also always said, like what David says in Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is fleeting. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay the night, but joy comes in the morning. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. This is why Isaiah is thankful. This is why Israel should be thankful. Why we, or us, remember, we're we're the ones in that day. That is why now we should be thankful. His anger has turned away. God, the Almighty, Lord of hosts, universe-making God, who is perfect and holy in all His ways, who is justice and will have justice, this God has sent Christ to take away anger, and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Israelites in Isaiah, this is good news when Isaiah hammers into them. First of all, he hammers into them, your iniquities have brought you into captivity. Your sins have sold you. Your disobedience has led you to your departure into Babylon. But the good news is that Christ comes and pays for iniquities and sins and disobedience. And this leads to comfort. As verse 1 ends on, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And you have comforted me. I'm about to ask a question that I unashamedly admit my arrogance and presuming I already know how you're going to answer. But have any of you ever sinned? No. Oh, okay. Well, those who have not sinned may leave. The sermon is no longer for you. No. 
How do you feel, especially when that sin goes unconfessed? Not, does it not sit right? Hopefully it doesn't. Because if you're able to sleep and minimize and shrug it off or not care too much, pray for softer hearts. Me, while I too should pray for a softer heart, many times I'm anxious, I'm disquieted, I'm uncomfortable, because there's a state of unsettledness between me and God and between me and other people. But if Christ has entered into that equation, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Have you known that peace? This peace is not a license to sin, nor should it give anyone reason to give up seeking holiness and forgiveness, but it should bring comfort. Commentators would remind us of the first words of Isaiah 40 that was read for us. And also Isaiah 40 is the definite second half of Isaiah where the prophet turns a decisive corner. And furthermore, this isn't in my notes, but I I heard this once and it kind of said, oh, that's interesting. Did you know that there are 66 chapters in Isaiah? How many books of the Bible are there? Did you know that there are 39 chapters 39 books in the Old Testament that kind of bring us the law, just like the 39 chapters in Isaiah brings us the law. Then the remainder of Isaiah kind of prepares us for the gospel, just like the remainder of the books in the Bible prepare us for the gospel. Isaiah 40 starts, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her forced labor has been completed, her iniquity has been pardoned. That call to the exiles that their salvation draws close. So this comfort is not the uh, come to the Thanksgiving table, pull up a chair and get ready sort of comfort. It goes much deeper than that. This word comfort is really intriguing to me because it's the same kind of, of comfort. It's an active, purging, refining type of comfort. It's a it's the same word in Genesis 5:29, when Noah is named, his father called him Noah, saying, May this one comfort us in the labor and toil of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. And we know this, that Noah does bring comfort, but it is through deliverance and salvation sparing from God's wrath. That's not the picture of It's time to eat Thanksgiving. I'm really comfortable. That's not the kind of comfort. It is a comfort that is on a much broader, epic scale. It's a comfort that says, look, the world is ending in a worldwide flood. But yay, we'll be spared. We'll make it through the other side. A flood is coming to wipe out the entire population, but one righteous man, Noah, will deliver us. Granted, many have sinned and many will die, but Noah is our comfort. It's a very intense comfort, and it's the same word used for repent. It's God's anger was here, but now he has taken it away, comfort. Another prophet, Jeremiah, saw when Jerusalem was sacked and exile was upon them, he penned in his book of Lamentations. Because of the loving devotion or the steadfast love, the loving kindness of the Lord, we are not consumed for his mercies never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness 
This is the comfort that matters. The comfort with bite behind it. It's the comfort that, that Christ offers. And our response should be thanksgiving. Friends, the day that the Lord was speaking of through Isaiah, that day is now. Christ has come. He is the temple. The nations are drawing to him to give him thanks for Christ. Christ who has taken away the anger rightly due for our sins, our offenses, and our hostility towards God. And because Christ has done this, has taken away the anger of the Lord, you and I have found comfort. Comfort in the Lord. It is a comfort and peace that should warm us from the soul. A comfort that says, you can be reunited with your Creator. By His wounds, you are healed. Friends, we are restored to what we were made for, a pure, unhindered relationship with Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, I personally enjoy the many American or origin stories surrounding Thanksgiving and thankfulness for a good harvest, thankfulness for surviving. The greatest impetus of Thanksgiving in our hearts and souls should be salvation from divine wrath due to us, due to our sins. But you have provided salvation. You have provided the true comfort that any person should want. And through you, it is available freely to all who would come to you and receive that comfort of Christ. So thank you for taking away your anger. Thank you that your heart, or as your word says, your banner over us is love. Thank you that you have provided Christ and thank you that we get to live in that day, to live that the in the day where the angels wanted to know, we get to know freely living on this side of your coming through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord Jesus, in this season of Thanksgiving, that if others are with the culture and the world and just move perhaps from Halloween to, to Christmas, help us to say, do you know what Thanksgiving is really about? Are you truly thankful? You have a lot to be thankful for. So, Father, we thank you, and we ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.